Hey, welcome to Bayou City. We're glad you're here. I brought some bread with me uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I just wanted to say I like bread. Uh, <laughs> bread not very popular these days. In fact, if you want to shed a few pounds, bread is the first thing that's uh, got to go, apparently. I also wanted to let you know that uh, I prayed about it, and this brand is the best brand of bread. It's Sunbeam. You know, part of, uh, uh, part of the job of a pastor is to really disciple people. And so I just want to have a discipleship moment here and say this is the only brand of bread that you should get. If you buy a different brand, um, again, I prayed about it. You are wrong. And you need to <laughs> repent. This is the softest bread. I also uh, want to make sure that you, there are three sizes at the grocery store. They're small. This is a small. There's a larger version. And then there's something called the Texas Giant. Don't get that one. It's too big. It's not fresh. It's not good. Also, they hide the freshest bread in the back. So next time you shop for bread, don't be a sucker and get the one that's closest to the aisle. You got to reach back there and get the one. And then you know it's really fresh when there's condensation inside the bag. That's how you know. So you just pray about it. God will teach you these things. But the real reason that I wanted to bring this bread is because that's what... John chapter 6 is all about, and that's what we're talking about today. John chapter 6, verses 25 through 59. In fact, the last couple of weeks have been about bread. Uh, I've said the word bread more in the last few weeks than I ever have in my entire life. Uh, And in fact, next week's message might also be about bread, because Jesus is talking a lot about bread in John chapter 6. Just so that we're all on the same page the, the, the chapter opens with Jesus feeding 5,000 people plus people. So 5,000 men, it says in my version of the Bible, which probably means it could have been up to almost 10,000 people when you include women and children. They follow Jesus out into the wilderness, up on a mountain, in fact. And when they get up there, uh, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, uh, how are we going to feed all these people? One of the disciples, Philip, says... We can't. It's impossible. The other disciple mentioned his name is Andrew. Uh, He also believes that it's probably going to be impossible. And yet he has this little seed of faith. And so he finds a young man who has brought his lunch with him, has a couple of pieces of bread and a few small fish to flavor the bread with. And he gives it to Jesus and he gives it to Jesus with skepticism. I, I don't can't imagine how we're going to feed all these people with just this one lunch, but hey, you're Jesus. You do crazy things. So, and Jesus did. He fed 5,000 plus people just out of that boy's lunch. The people who have been fed are so excited about what has happened. They try to make Jesus their king and he withdraws from them because although God has sent him to be a king, it's not the kind of king that these people are thinking. And so Jesus actually goes away from them. The other gospels tell us that he goes up on top of the mountain to pray, but he sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee, I think, to get them away from the crowd because they too could be infected with the crowd's version of following Jesus, which is just very shallow. And so Jesus goes away himself. He sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. It's evening time. Time. And so by the middle of the night, the disciples are in a boat in the middle of the sea and a storm comes upon them. There's pretty common on the Sea of Galilee to have pretty quick, sudden storms. And they're terrified, as you would imagine. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. He gets in the boat. The scripture says immediately they were on the other side. Now, Jesus was sending those disciples to the town, a populated town 
on the other side of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. And Jesus used that as his home base. And verse 59 tells us that he is teaching now through chapter 6 inside of this synagogue. I brought a picture, an illustration of what the synagogue probably looked like. We can't know for sure, of course, because it was almost 2,000 years ago. But you can go to Capernaum today and you can visit the ruins of a synagogue that probably looked like this. So I want you picturing this in your mind as we read John chapter 6. Imagine this place full of people listening to the words of Jesus. They've just either heard about the miracle of the fish and loaves or they have experienced that themselves. Now, when you look, in fact, look with, I mean, at John chapter 6 uh, with me, you're going to see in verse 25 through 59, it's a lot of words. And I don't know about you, but whenever I am reading the scripture and it's a lot of words, I get to the end of the passage and I just assume that it was really good. I don't remember any of it. I didn't understand any of it, but it's, you know, it's the Bible, so it's got to be good. But I want us to really understand what this passage of scripture is saying. And so you guys are smarter than I am. But what helps me is to understand what the sections are. So I thought I would give you all four sections of what we're talking about today. So these are the four major points. Then if you need to go somewhere, you can just leave right now. Uh, you don't have to stay for the rest. Number one, the summary statement. Jesus alone offers us the bread of life. So if you're going to write something down, I would love for you to write this down. Jesus alone offers us the bread of life. Number two, Jesus is the bread of life. Number three, Jesus is able to secure eternal life for those who believe. And number four, Jesus asks for a deeper commitment than we might be expecting. So let's start back up at the top. Number one, Jesus alone offers us the bread of life. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, what's interesting about the Jewish people is, for the most part, they really wanted to honor God. They believed in the one true God. They wanted to make their life matter for him. They wanted their life to align with his will. But here comes Jesus laying a very clear boundary. If your desire is to honor the one true God, the way that you honor God is by honoring me. Now that makes a lot of sense to us because we're living on this side of Jesus' resurrection. But remember, they weren't. At this point, he is Jesus of Nazareth. And he comes along and, and says, if you want to love God, and they did, you have to love me. And here he's saying it in these words, for on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval, meaning God has anointed me. God has made me his official ambassador and has sent me into this world. And so if you want to receive God into your life, you have to receive me into your life. And so he tells them, let's just be honest. Let's get all our cards on the table. You're not here in this synagogue because you believe in me. You're here in this synagogue because you want more bread. And not just bread to eat, but you want to see more miraculous bread. You, you want me to do tricks for you. You are interested in being connected to that. But you're not really following me. You're just following the bread. 
And so then he says in verse 27, do not work for the food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus says to them, listen, you guys are after bread that I can make miraculously, but that, that bread is, is going to go bad. It's, it's going to rot. It's, it's going to become infected and it's, it's going to go away. Don't, don't try to get this kind of bread. Get bread that endures to eternal life, which I think is good advice for all of us. Because there are things in this world that we can give ourselves to that will just turn into dust. And there are things that we can give ourselves to that will last forever. And we should always be asking that question when we are making decisions, when we're thinking about our lives, what part of this is going to really matter in eternal life? So, so, so there's, there's a, uh, uh, well, we need new cars sometimes, right? But that new car it eventually is going to turn into dust. It's going to rust. It's going to break down. Your kids are going to ruin that new car smell with their McDonald's french fries all over the ground. Right? It's, it's going to rot. It's going to spoil. It, eventually, you won't think it's that great anymore. Right? But there are conversations that happen in that car that can endure forever. So when I'm thinking about buying a new car... I should be thinking more about those conversations than the brand on the car. The square footage of your home won't last into eternal life. The way you've decorated it, the furniture that you've bought, it won't make it past the judgment day. But the love shared inside of it, the training up of children that happens inside of it, the, a, a marriage that reflects the way that Christ loved the church and the church responds to Christ, all of that will endure forever. Right? We should always be evaluating, is this something that's going to spoil or is this something that's going to endure? And then we decide to give ourselves to the things that endure, not the things that will turn into dust. And then Jesus goes on, verse 28 then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? I mean, isn't that what a lot of us want to know? Right? We want favor from God, so just tell me what I got to do. I got to do more of this. I got to do less of this. Tell me what I have to do. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So the work that God wants from you today is to believe and to believe in the one that he has sent which is Jesus. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they in the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they say to Jesus, okay, if you're asking us to believe in you, then prove it. Now you would think that feeding 5,000 plus people out of a boy's lunch would be enough evidence, but that's the thing about asking God to prove something is it's never enough for us. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but God has answered more prayers in my life than he should have. Uh, he has graced me more than I deserve. And yet consistently, I act as if our scales are balanced. God, if you want more from me, then I'm going to need to see more from you. If you want more faithfulness out of me, then I need to see more faithfulness out of you. So they say to Jesus, prove it. If you want us to believe in you the way that our ancestors believed in Moses, 
then you need to do something as miraculous as Moses did by praying to God and then God gave us manna. And that's something that we've been talking about, a miraculous bread that God gave the Israelites when he was leading them from slavery in Egypt to their promised land. They got out into the wilderness, they didn't have any food, and so they grumbled against God because they were scared. And God gave them bread every single morning, this bread-like substance, they called it manna. And they would collect their daily bread. That's when, why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, give us today our daily bread to reference back to that manna. Right? So he says, this is what God did. They say, this is what God did for our ancestors. So if you want us to believe in you the way that our ancestors believed in Moses, then you need to do something great for us the way God used Moses to do something great for our ancestors. And look how Jesus responds. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses, verse 32, who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is from my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus says, listen, you're giving Moses too much credit. It is God who gave our ancestors that miraculous bread, and it is God who has sent me into the world to give you the bread that you need. Second thing that I wanted you to write down, Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Verse 35. Verse 34, they say, sir, always give us this bread. Now, if you remember from what seems like 13 years ago, Jesus was sitting at a well with a, a Samaritan woman, and he's talking to her about eternal life, but he's using water. Here he's using bread, but then he was talking to her about water, and she says to him, give me that water. Give, give me water that I drink it, I'll never get thirsty again. Then I don't have to come back to this well every single day. That would be fantastic. And, and now these people are doing the same thing. Oh, you're talking about bread. Uh, give us that bread, bread that will m- make sure that we don't ever go hungry. Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So not only does Jesus offer us this bread, he says, I am this bread. Third thing that I want you to write down, Jesus is able to secure eternal life for those who believe. Now this is the section where if we're not paying attention, we can get lost in all the words. Verse 36, but as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me will never, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Now the last day is very important to understanding Jesus' ministry and what he's actually offering us still to this day. When Jesus talks about the state of things, he refers to it as this age. In fact, he called Satan the ruler of this age. That's why everything in our world is broken, even when we mean well, even when there's good intent, it doesn't last very long and it almost always has negative ramifications even though it was meant for something good because Satan is actually the one organizing a lot of things. And even though in our world we make our best attempt, it's it's broken because we're in this age. But Jesus promised us there is an age to come. And he used lots of different words to describe that. He described it as eternal life. He described it as the kingdom of God. He described it as the kingdom of heaven. So in Jesus, we see the dividing line between this age and the age to come. And that dividing line, that turning of the calendar from August to September, is 
when Jesus returns. It will be the last day of this age. And Jesus promised, the New Testament affirms, that on that last day, if we don't make it to see Jesus return in person, he's going to resurrect the dead. And it will be the transition from this age to the age to come. And so what Jesus is talking about, if you believe in me as the bread of life, I I will raise you up on the last day. I will make sure that you experience the age to come. And then better than that, We get to experience that age to come right now. We get eternal life right now. Eternal life isn't just something that we receive after we die. He shares it with us now. And that's what church should be, really. Church should be a preview of the age to come. So we are failing as a church if in here feels like out there, it's just a church address. So in here, because the kingdom of God will be a kingdom filled with love and joy and fellowship and acceptance. If people come in and feel love and joy and fellowship and acceptance, then it is a preview of things to come. But if they come in and experience uh, closed groups and uh, unfriendly, unwelcoming people, then it's really just kind of like out there. We just have a sign out front. Because Jesus has shared with us the kingdom of God now. and, And so it should feel like the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, if you believe in me, you'll receive eternal life and I will raise you up in the last day. Verse 41. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So so they say, you're crazy. Uh, We know your mom and dad. Um, so how are you from heaven? You're from Nazareth. Right? We, we've seen where you come from. Which tells us today that they didn't know about his miraculous birth. They didn't know about the angel of Gabriel. They just assumed that he was born in the same way that all of us were born. Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Which is pretty crazy. Again, remember, all this is taking place in a synagogue, which was smaller than this church. So like, it would be weird if all of a sudden you guys... We're like saying to one another, hey, we don't like what you are saying, you know. But that's what they were doing. I mean, they're in a smallish room and they're just turning to one another and being like, who does this guy think he is? Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Which reminds us what John the Baptist said about Jesus back in chapter 1 when Jesus came to be baptized. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here Jesus saying about himself that he's going to give his flesh, which will give life to the world. So they're grumbling. Who do you think you are? And he says very clearly, I am the bread that comes from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna every morning. God provided it to them, but they died because it was just bread. If you believe in me, 
Your body may give out, but you won't die, at least not in the way that, that you're thinking. And then finally, the last thing I want you to write down, Jesus asks for a deeper commitment than we might have expected. Jesus asks for a deeper commitment than we might have expected. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. Now they understand that he's not advocating for cannibalism. Back in Leviticus, uh, it's clear that you're not supposed to eat anything that still has blood in it. So you, you, you shouldn't be just taking bites out of animals, you know, without being proper, you know. And, uh, and so they understand that he's, he's, not li- he's, he's not speaking literally. And yet he is being offensive, you know, we have this relationship with our leaders, whether they're church leaders or work leaders or political leaders, um, that we will follow them as long as they stay inside our boundaries. But if somebody steps outside of those boundaries, we'll look for another leader. And Jesus right here is stepping outside of those boundaries. When he says to them, eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's more than they are ready to hear. They, they don't want their leaders saying that kind of thing. I mean, think about the intimate nature of that. The, the Bible scholars tell us that Jesus and then John writing this gospel do something really specific. There was a word for eat in their language that is just, I mean, just like our word for eat. It can mean a lot of different things. But John and Jesus, don't, they don't use that word. They use a word that has some noise to it. In our vernacular, like munch or chew. Like I have a golden retriever at home and when she eats at night, like everybody in the house knows that she's eating. I'll like, and her plate is banging against the cabinet wall, right? I mean, it's gross and it's disgusting. And this is what Jesus is saying. You chew on my flesh. I mean, it's it's like, I feel wrong saying that out loud. Like, it almost feels disrespectful to him to say, munch on the flesh of Jesus. And he's doing that on purpose because what he's doing, remember, all these people filling the synagogue, they're there because they either experienced or they heard that he took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 plus people. So they want to be around that. And, And who wouldn't? And Jesus is saying to them, no, here's, here's the deal. If you want to be my follower, then you got to come feed on me. And then he's saying that to us today. And I would guess a couple of us at least are in here because somebody told us that if we believed in Jesus, we wouldn't go to hell. Well, I don't want to go to hell. So here I am. And Jesus says to you, no, 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 no. Come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. A couple of us are in here because our mama raised us right. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come and chew on me.
and they reacted the way some of us are reacting, like, oh, no, thank you. You've stepped outside of, of what I was expecting. See, this language, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it roots out all of our casual Christianity, all of our come and go. Right? I mean, can you imagine listening to Jesus saying this. I mean, just put yourself in that crowded synagogue in the first century and hearing Jesus say that and then being like, hey, um, I can't come next week because I'm going to be tired. <laughs> I can't read the Bible this week because I just, I don't get, just, I don't get it. I don't get into it. Can you imagine Jesus saying, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood? And you're like, you know, prayer, I don't, I don't, know. I don't see a lot of fruit from it. No, it, it, it roots out all of that shallowness in me. See, Jesus is not running for religious election. He's not after your vote. But that's how we present him to the world. If you want to go to heaven, vote for Jesus. And he says, that's not what. I'm not after your vote, I'm after your life. Like all of it too. Not just the spiritual dimensions. I'm after the way you see your house. I'm after the way you see your car. I'm after the way you treat people. I'm after the words that you say. I'm, I'm after the way you spend your money. I'm after the way you vote. I'm the, after the way you see people of other ethnicities. I'm after the way that you work. I'm after the way that you treat your kids. I'm after the way you respond in anger. I'm after the way that you're passive. I don't want just your religious vote. If I have to vote, I guess I vote for Jesus. America's next top savior. No, he, he says, now come and chew on me. Chew on me and drink my blood. And again, they know that he's not talking literally. But we're going to see next week some people who considered themselves disciples, they say pass. Because I was just here to get some good teaching and maybe find a new king. I, I didn't re realize that you were asking this much of me. Right. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, he says. Whoever eats my flesh, verse 56, and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is able to secure for us eternal life because he offers us the bread of life, because he is the bread of life. And in response, he asks for a deeper commitment than we might be expecting. Some of us will opt in and some of us might opt out, but everyone is clear what the expectations are. You know, it's really interesting is in a few chapters, Jesus is gonna gather his disciples, the disciples that stay with him into an upper room. 
and he's going to lift up some more bread. And then he says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes a cup of wine and he lifts it up and he says, this is my blood poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. And we call that communion because he told us to keep on doing this. And every time that we took the bread and we take the cup, we do it in remembrance of Jesus. And so this is how we're going to finish our service, by sharing communion together. I'm going to ask those who are actually helping us serve to go ahead and take their places now. And you know, if you've been to church before, I bet you've taken communion before. But today we get to take it in the context of John chapter 6. That when you rip off a piece of the bread and you hear someone say in your ear, the body of Jesus broken for you, you're able to hear Jesus saying, eat my flesh. And when you take that bread and you dip it into the cup and you hear them say, the blood of Jesus shed for you, you're remembering him say, and drink my blood. And us coming to to communion is, is our response even though I may not totally understand that commitment. And I'm not there yet because I get distracted by all kinds of things. I can easily give myself to things that spoil and not last forever. Jesus, I want to make that commitment to you. I I, want to be a disciple. I want to follow you. So why don't you stand? And we're going to take communion together. If you've never taken communion here at Bayou City, In just a second, row by row, we're going to come rip off the bread and take that bread and dip it in the cup. And by coming today, what you are confessing is I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he is the one that God has sent. And I want to honor him with my life. So Father, we, we honor your son. We honor you by remembering him today through communion. Jesus, we look to you and we believe and we know that we are receiving and have received eternal life and you will raise us up on the last day. So we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to invite you. We'll start here with the rose in front and as your row comes, you share communion.